When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. It's Friday, November 12th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Christian Alexander, founder of Macrolink. Hi, Christian. Great to see you. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? Good, good. This is actually my first time doing the show with you. So why don't we kick off, and there, if there are any viewers who are new to us as well, give us a little background on, on what you do and, and your approach to the market. Sure. So um, I'm a headhunter. I've been in the headhunting business for about five years. Uh, I focus on macro fund managers, um, hedge fund executives, uh, emerging markets, um, but generally around the fund manager hoop. Um, And I got into this business by way of probably 15 or 20 years as a broker covering macro hedge fund portfolio managers and therefore getting to know their backstories and um, did from 99 until mid 13. I was at Goldman Sachs. I spent four years in Hong Kong, a year in Tokyo, and four years in London on the uh, on the back end of all that. Um, then a couple more years here and there, and then started this business. So, um, in that capacity, I kind of to differentiate myself from other headhunters. I stay informed about what's going on in markets. I'm probably not as up to the second as your average person here, but I probably know a lot more about the job market than your average person on this show too. So Yeah, absolutely. Which by the way is key, right? It, it all comes back to that and being a boy. It also means that you're constantly talking to the best in the business. So, and that's that sort of anecdotal information I always think is fantastic. Yeah, so it tells you something about risk, risk appetite. People, yeah. people, you know, people without the appetite to interview don't have the appetite to do strategic things. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I does say a lot about them. I never thought about it that way. So, so let, let's dive in. You know, we're we're wrapping up a really interesting week. A, another batch of sort of headline grabbing economic numbers, right? Consumer uh, sentiment out today, ten year low. We also learned that a, this is going to be great to talk to you about. A record number of Americans, four point four million people, quit their jobs in September. This labor market is just so so interesting i think befuddling a lot of people but all of this coming on the heels of you know what what people view as hot inflation numbers cpi uh, ppi so on the consumer and wholesale front so you know what do you make of all this where do you see the economy look i think it's all kind of related um you know if we had an a, an exceedingly rapid shutdown of the economy into covid married with um, a large amount of stimulus and, in the form of direct checks to consumers and in the form of unemployment insurance and in the form of various other programs um, you add all that up and there was an attempt to counterbalance consumption while well, consumption reeled back in because you know if you just if you looked out my window common sense would tell you that the Lincoln Tunnel um, entrance and exit went from from bazillions of cars a day to none. Yeah, um, it was eerie, actually. Yeah, it was eerie, right? So if you took commerce and shut it down, and you tried to counterbalance it with a stimulate with support to consumption, um, some of that remained pent up and bottled up until we had a resumption to something like normality, which is now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that couldn't be spent on services. 
So, you know, the American consumer would have likely spent some proportion of that going to restaurants, baseball games, movie theaters, whatever else. Yeah. So remove that from the menu, channel everything into goods, but also withhold some of it because, you know, there's a limit to how many goods you need to purchase if you're stuck in your home. Yeah. You know? um, now bring the vaccine and, un and, you know, unleash the economy at a much more rapid pace than production and supply chain can snap back. And you're just seeing, you know, you don't have to be a trained economist to witness these phenomena in your everyday life. Um, you know, it's, it, I was looking for an apartment and it, you know, the things were showing up on Zillow were having a crowd of people there in the morning time and renting before noon. I rented an apartment site on scene and waited six weeks to take possession, which just happened this week. Wow. Uh, the apartment that I exited six weeks ago, um, was 50% less and the same size. Wow. So rents, you know, now, of course, that was that was a lease that was done during the doldrums of COVID. Yeah. Said, my, my, my rental cost is still up 50%. If you look at gasoline in the same time frame, it's up about 60%. And if you look at automobiles, um, you know, a new car you, is unavailable. If you get one, they flip now for somewhere like 60 to 70% premium over the MSRP out in the secondary market. Mm -hmm. And a two-year-old... Dodge Transit van or Toyota Camry, either of which has 12 to 20,000 miles on it, plus two years plus used, trades at a 20 to 30 percent premium of the, or sorry, trades at even to the new car price back in 2019. Yeah, so. it's 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 insane. But you know, the, these some of this stuff we can trace to specific yep. issues, sure. and and it's going to take time, right? It takes We're time to. Like, you know, you right. can make excuses for so many things. Like, you know, I'm an avid cycling um, enthusiast. The 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 part, component parts and the pieces of interest that go into the bikes that I make, all of that is up 60 to 70%. Then yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, what's my wallet composed of? It's rent. I don't own a car, but if I did, that's up 50%. It's gasoline. That's up 50%. So throw that out because I don't I look at bicycles. That's up 50%. Um, and then just if you, you know, in your day-to-day -day interactions with the economy, everywhere you look, there's help wanted signs and everywhere you look, there are supply shortages. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a bad combo. It's a bad combo. So, so you, the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the consumer sentiment, consumer yeah. confidence. I mean, clearly, that's got to be up to the prices, don't you think? That's got to be. A, a, oh, I think for sure, there's a price. There's a price and supply shock because, yeah. you know, at some level, you know, there's uncertainty in this afterlife that we live in. Anyhow, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, you know, who doesn't feel some level of anxiety when they leave their place, wondering if they're supposed to be wearing a mask or not supposed to be wearing a mask, and is this the time to get the booster and how many days back at work? And is my employer satisfied with the number of days that I'm putting in back at work? Yeah. And, and I saw a headline that the cases are going up in some places, even if we've, you know, still, still the anxiety the about what's yeah. the, you know, we don't have a final outcome to this. We just have a new muddle through, which is, you know, the instances of people getting gravely ill seem to have diminished. Um, some level of normality has returned. The streets are full of people again. Uh, the roads are full of people again. The offices are partly full and sort of we're limping through this new normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's no clarity. I mean, in, in none of us operate particularly well when there's, uh, there's no, we never know what the future holds, but yeah. you know, you, you can make sort of educated 
guesses and assumptions. And I think people, people still feel like that part of their life is kind of in upheaval. Yeah, the social calendars in, in a bit of a weird space too. So you add all of that up plus the duration of this. I think that's something, you know, the price shock plus the unending uncertainty to the pandemic, which is better, but it's not, you know, we're not back in an environment that we were in before this all started. Yeah. Um, the frequency of job transition, because, you know, even if there is a shortage of jobs, that just means a lot of people need to hire. And a lot of people that were laid off are now scrambling around to find a fit and bilaterally yeah. so. So we know how much, know. I know you're in that business, but we know how, how you know, job, job changes, just like moving, not stressful at all, right? It's horribly stressful, <laughs> even if it's a positive, it changes. I'm either, you, know. Uh, you know, I'm either a victim or a beneficiary of this, but I joke to job candidates all the time that like, hey, not only do you have to find a, no, a new job, but so did I. How do you think I became a headhunter? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if, if I were still so desirable, I would be working at Goldman Sachs still, but I'm not. So yeah. I'm not. But, you know, and, I, I, it's really interesting what we're seeing, though, because, you know, we're talking about these job changes what do you make? I mean, so just, yep. I think it's worth pointing out because when I first saw those two headlines, I'm like, wait, you know, sentiments at a 10 year low, but 4 yep. million people quit their jobs. What's going on? But the, the job quit date, I believe is a little bit uh, backward looking or it's for, for September. And, you know, we're just seeing the continuation of the prices and that might be leading the sentiment um, if you look at it that way. But why are so many people quitting their jobs? Are they leaving for better jobs? What's going on here? I mean, I think there's a sense that the labor market's tight. And if you're, you know, pretty confident you can adjust your wage by leaving, one way to assure that you find a new job is to quit the one that you have and devote your total efforts to looking for something and resetting your um, income level. It's harder for businesses to reset active employees just psychologically that, you know, the running wage of active employees tends to be stickier than that which you pay to somebody that you waltz in the door at market rates. Mm. Uh, to break that cycle, if you're an employee, you probably quit your job and go find a new one. Um, I also it takes, of, it takes some degree of confidence to to quit and look. I mean, especially with work from home, one would think you can look while work while you're working. Kind of, I don't know, but I would make the I would make the flip side of that argument, which is in the last ten years, there's been a, a measurable decline in the nature and the notion of bilateral loyalty between employer and employee. Mm -hmm. And the frequency yes. of job turnover has, you know, I worked at Goldman for 13 years. Nowadays, that would never happen. That would make, it's an extremely rare situation. It's much more normal to be somewhere for two years, the gig economy. I'm a headhunter. I kind of have a eat what you kill gig economy that I've created for myself. Yeah. Many of your other co-hosts who come on here are doing similar with newsletters and all this other stuff. Right. And, you know, the yesterday's Walmart or yesterday's Ford Motor assembly line employee in the union working there for 10 years, became five years at Walmart selling tires, became an Uber driver now. Yeah. And so if you have this gigified economy and this decline of that bilateral notion of loyalty and shorter and shorter terms of employment, quitting your job isn't that big of a deal anymore. Yeah, that's a that's a really really great people point. Leave and their it's jobs more frequently anyhow. So then yeah. you're just doing what nature was going to do for you anyway, especially yeah. if you expect that there's something more lucrative out there in the near term. Yeah, and 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 especially when you look generationally as well. There there are people entering the workforce who will never know what it's like to work for a decade for for a company. I mean, that's just, you know, we remember, yep. but that, the other side that, of this we're a dying breed, but there's some, there's something that nobody's thought about, but it makes some sense. If there's this supply shock and a supply shortage and an inflationary impulse, 
So what you want either isn't available or it's stupidly expensive and you just kind of don't think that's the right price and won't pay, then that money ends up in your pocket. If it sits in your pocket and you're working in a job where you think you're underwage and you have an airbag, quit and spend the money that you were going to spend on the snowmobile or whatever else and you know, uh, look for a new job. Yeah, take yeah. the time off. I like that you pull, pulled snowmobile out of the uh, <laughs> the discretionary <laughs> spending. It gives us a little insight to where your mind is. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to think of something enthusiast. like maybe we have like, to like you know expand. Yeah, what's like what's what's something you could definitely live without? <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Um, we have a question from Mark uh, along these lines. Would welcome Christian's viewpoint on what effect the great boomer retirement will have on the overall economy and over what timetable. This often comes up when people are talking about why we're seeing these extreme shortages, especially after some of the states started rolling back some of the, you know, some of the pandemic payouts and we didn't see that big change, that maybe there's something more demographic going on. I guess, first of all, do you think that's true? And then if so, you know, do you think that the boomers will have an impact? Oh, I think that's definitely true. I mean, look, the the you know the boomer cohort has been trained by experience that you're supposed to stay invested in stocks way past any time frame in the normal life cycle when you should normally be out. You know, my mom and I had this conversation what was in the last two or three months where I'm like, okay, you're and I'm not going to say her age, but boomer boomer demographic retired nurse who's sitting on $400,000 of equities and a $700,000 home, which makes you $1.1 million of risk exposure to stuff. And you've been retired for 10 years. You're supposed to be putting that in a savings account, dissaving and spending it on experiences in life now, as opposed to having the risk of a 30% market shock. Um, which not because my mom's improved, she's vastly more prudent than I am. It just never really happened in her lifetime that there's been anything so sustained yeah. and violent. And nor has it happened in most of the co- that cohort's lifetime either. So I think there's a tremendous, I, this, I love this question, but I think there's a tremendous overallocation to risk assets in the boomer cohort. And I think given medical advancement, they're living a lot longer. Yeah. I mean, you know, my mom and I happened to be doing something. They asked her what my sister was up to. And, you know, like we were at a store and the person said, oh, what's your sister doing? That's my mom. I'm like, okay, she's, you know, she's 30 years older than me. And good for her. Good for her. But like, you know, the reality is her, you know, her cohort's going to live a lot longer, which means longer in retirement because we haven't bumped out the retirement ages from 65 in a long time. But I would bet there's been another 10 years of life expectancy packed on. Isn't that why they're, why some of them are sitting in equities? Because they realize they're going to have to fund their, uh, maybe. I think I really, honestly, I think it has more to do with just, you know, the experience got crushed. Yeah. The experience has proven this is the right thing to do. And this reconciliation of when does this, when did they begin? Well, they can't go into bonds. Can they? I mean, part of it is because unless they're in cash, where would they go if they want? That's been the whole thing is, you know, the, the, you know, the continued crush in equities has been, you know, there's been this, uh, super anomalous situation of low rates, which makes the traditional framework of pension fund investing and retirement investing irrelevant. Yeah. You know, you, 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 
I'm so glad you mentioned that because it hasn't really come up there, exposure to equities. And to, and and I suppose it would lay, add another layer of risk because if we do see it start to see the market decline, if they're in equities or they have overexposure to risk assets, you could yeah. see them get scared and move that, you know, relatively quickly, afraid to lose what they've built up. Maybe I don't know. I think I you know my in my own mind I think this has become viewed as a good place to be and that you kind of can steadily cash out of your equity holding and yeah, use that yeah. for your lifestyle as you go on. Um, and exiting early has been expensive. So considering that, you know, um, it probably hasn't been, you know, the, the experience has proven that exiting early has been an expensive strategy. So people probably don't want to do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's reinforced the behavior. Um, so, you know, the, the bigger question is, I think, as we kind of come into this new environment where the Fed has maxed out everything that it has in its policy set, it's kind of like if you're in fifth gear, pedal of the metal, what more can you do? And so then that raises the question, what is there for a Fed put and does that still exist? And if it doesn't and there's a market shock and that gets challenged, what's the investor psychology or impact on confidence to something like that happening? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we have a question about housing, which I'm going to get to in a yeah. moment. But uh, this week, I was, um, you know, as we're thinking about inflation and the impact it's having on the consumer, I spoke with Jeff Snyder of Alhambra Investment yesterday uh, for Real Vision Live, who said that, you know, he understands the headline and yes, there's pain out there. But when you look at the bond market, there's a very different narrative that's emerging. Let's have a listen to what he had to say. Well, you know, the funny thing about the uh, the CPI is that most of what goes on or what goes into it in terms of shelter is owner's equivalent rent, which we would expect to ex which you would expect to exhibit some tendencies from, you know, housing prices over the last year, which have gone crazy. So those are starting to creep back in. But there's always a question about whether that's that's a real thing or not, if that's just a statistical quirk of the way the BLS puts together the CPI. So yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely going to be some pressures from the housing sector. There's definitely still these supply factors going to take place, and and they're going to linger on into next year. But as far as deciding what is inflation and what is temporary, transitory, non-economic factors, like we've seen, that's really when we turn to the bond market. And even today, with this supposedly shocking CPI number that was much higher than expected, yeah, the bond market long end is selling off a bit. But it, you know, interest rates are both are still lower than they were earlier in the year, and more importantly than that, the yield curve continues to flatten. So even today, with the nominal yields rising, the five ten year spread is down to around thirty four basis points, which is the lowest, the, the flattest the curve has been since August of twenty twenty. So there's a message in that as well, where the market is saying, yes, we see the CPIs are high, but we believe that this is both not only temporary, it's not money printing, it's not inflation. It's other non-economic factors. That was Jeff Snyder, and that full interview is available on Plus and Pro Tier. Um, so, Chris, Jeff firmly uh, remains, as he has been, um, in the deflation camp. Um, you know, what what do you make of that? Do, are, are you watching the bond market? What do, what do you think the signals are out there? Look, I think, um, you know, I think... There is inflation, and the biggest trouble for the Fed isn't necessarily the inflation that we witnessed, but it's the fact that we're all talking about it, which I think mm -hmm. they've lost control of the narrative. The narrative has now become inflationary. The inflationary narrative then factors back into inflation expectations. Inflation expectations have a footprint in real inflation. I think that has been what the damage of that is, I don't know, but has that been lost control of, I think, almost certainly. Um, 
And then in the last year, you know, the culmination of all of these different post-2008, then doubling down for coronavirus, um, uh, you know, sort of accommodative monetary strategies has been in the last year, the Federal Reserve has purchased 10% of GDP of total debt stock. So if you go back a year ago, the, the Federal Reserve's you know, balance sheet was 25% of GDP, and they owned maybe 9% of the total treasury debt stock. Um, you know, we put up a 10% of GDP deficit, and mm-hmm. then the Federal Reserve purchased another 10% of treasury. So now their total treasury stock, you know, the total holding of treasury stock is 19%. So in my mind, it's really been the Fed that's been purchasing this bond issuance for the last year that has kind of subsidized the entire deficit that we've put that we've put out or that we've that we've uh, printed. Um, and to achieve that, there's been a decent amount of monetary flow. So put that together, and that you know that there may be a monetary um, situation behind just the shortage of goods, supply constraint, supply chain constraints, and all of the other more talked about stuff. Which then means we have a decision to make, which is: Do we want to you know to allow there to continue to be this kind of soft monetization of the debt through the Fed at the risk of more inflation in order to hold rates? Or do we let go rates in order to be disciplined about inflation, um, which is a challenge the Fed hasn't really faced because so far they've had the happy problem of putting more accommodation to fight crises, not the hard problem of withdrawing yeah. accommodation to fight crises, which is, you know, one's kind of a more stressful than the other. Yeah, so, absolutely. We uh, have a question um, from uh, Yo-Yo. Is the housing market ready to go down as consumer confidence is down? Hard to say, you know. Um, you know, the housing market tends to lag the stock market. I think that the the boom in the stock market probably keeps the housing market. Plus, inflation also should be positive for houses. So, that that's a harder one to say. The replacement value certainly should go up. Is you know, is there supply constraints and inflation? Um, um, I, you know, we do have sort of what you could say are like a you know kind of a triple bubble economy in the sense of like a credit, you know, a a massive amount of subsidized credit, a massive amount of subsidized home appreciation, and a massive amount of subsidized equity appreciation, um, which have knock on effects in venture capital and everywhere else. Um, and you know, likelihood is if there is a challenge to any one of those, is a challenge to all three. Yeah. Yeah, and that, always reason to sort of you know take pause when we're talking about uh, you know simultaneous bubbles in all of these different markets. I mean that 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 always gets me worried. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com. We have a question from Ralph. Um, what areas of macro are you most excited about at the moment? Look, oddly, this the, you know, the traditional discretionary macro space, um, it, you know, that space went through a drought starting in about 2015 and extending until about 18, um, where the footprint of policy was so overwhelmingly dominant that it suppressed vol and FX markets, led to unexpected outcomes, and further, you know, like an, uh, an unvo- an, you know, a tranquil environment is not good for macro fund managers any more than a highly correlated market is good for stock pickers. Um, 
You know, so in the last two years, we've seen a lot more dispersion of asset prices and volatility and higher returns. And so for me, that's been, you know, that's encouraging because that's kind of the space or one space where I focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the space that I'm at least the most hopeful, not maybe, you know, uh, hope and optimism are two different things, but... <laughs> <laughs> Which is important to point out. Yes. What, do you think? Um, do you think Powell keeps his job as chairman of the Fed? Uh, you know, that's a tricky one. You know, the office of the Fed has become so insanely politicized, and his appointment was in such a particularly polarized time that I can see a super clear political case um, to not reappoint him. That said, there's also a case to be made that more disruption is less good, and so. Um, and further, especially if things get start to get, you know, uh, more, more difficult as we turn the corner, like by all accounts, he seems to think he's one of a very few number of people that can manage to land, you know, a 747 on the deck of an aircraft carrier. And, you know, and that's sort of the challenge here, because there's a huge amount of sustained policy that's been in place since forever and ever, or you know, all the way back to 08, which, you know, that's some people's lifetime. That's 13 years now. Yeah. Right. It's it's so true. I mean, the, the, the amount of time that this has been going on, some people have never known anything else. Yep. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not forecasting a doomsday scenario, but the exit of this is going to be super tricky. And I would wonder how many people really want the job of trying to step in at this moment in time to pull back the reins, to try to settle down such a huge number of things under such tricky conditions. And he's really the only person who a has some familiarity with the job. B happens to be doing it, and C wants to. So yeah. you can make you can make a case based on prudence that that's the right way to go. Yeah. And wh- you know how much the political versus prudence on the you know scale weighs. Like, that's the hard. That's that's the impossible thing to measure. Yeah, I think people. This question, you know, the odds changed changed a bit on it. And this question has been coming up more because. Uh, Brainerd went to the, what was seen going into the White House for interviews yeah. and stuff. I think people should always remember that optics are everything in Washington and lots of things you see and then nothing happens, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, because they're trying to, you know, obviously um, send an impression that they're considering all options. It's funny, somebody pointed out that for as much as every party tries to race to fill vacancies when they come up, the Fed yeah. is not one of the places they do that because of the risk of disrupting the balance that's there or disrupting the markets who don't like change in that institution, even if they hate the person there. And you remember how Ben Bernanke got beat up in front of those congressional, brutal listening to those congressional hearings in the wake of the financial crisis. And yet people, there's a familiarity that makes people feel better. I think that's true, but the, you know, also the political discourse has changed in the last five to seven years. which um, even if you are agnostic about politics, you know, um, and like Trump or don't, um, he's a symptom of something and a suggestion of something. And mm-hmm. it tells you that the underlying tone in the political discourse is much, much more frustrated with the parallel, with the paralysis of the federal government and its inability to get things done in the last decade mm-hmm. and a willingness for more aggressive um, language and behavior. Um, now that's just forget about like an opinion about the man. Just you know, there's a, there was an impulse for more aggressive behavior, and that I think means that the you know there's a reflection of 
the impotence a little bit of the presidency, which started with Obama's frequency of use of the uh, executive, executive order. Agreed. And now you get to a place where the Fed has become one of the tools on the menu to a paralyzed government. So if you're the executive, you're, you're more looking at that as one of the things that's at least available to you, which is why you've seen a higher frequency of turnover in that office and a, and a more politicized office, which then really brings the question, do they have the independence to act on their own? I don't think so. And if they did, do they have the guts? Well, yeah. we don't know. Yeah. And, and you can argue either chop by the, the political system or the markets <laughs> or both, yes. yeah. um, which they which they may be. Um, Chris, as we leave off here, you know, how are you feeling about the growth trajectory for the U.S. economy? Because I, I, you know, I hear what you're saying in the labor market and what's happening with, you know, New York City apartments. I was at some shops the other day and it was ridiculous. Yep. And then I go do other things and, and you know, I, I see things, as you said, not where they were before. People worried about prices. They're kind of hoarding. There's this general malaise. We're yep. all kind of, you know, depressed. We don't really know why. But yep. how are you feeling about, you know, the supply chain, which I talk, told Ms. Schneider a few hours ago, even my son is asking about the supply chain and feels yep. annoyed about his existence because somehow the supply chain is involved in it um, and asked me about it. So, so where do you come down on this? How are you feeling about the, the growth trajectory? I mean, I think the near-term growth trajectory is going to be surprisingly good because there is still some pent-up post-COVID spending impulse, the snowmobile. You know, now is the, now is the <laughs> That just miraculously popped into your brain, FYI, if anybody's listening and would like to give to him. If you know, if you weren't purchasing that whatever thing it was last year because you were cabin bound, um, or whatever other circumstance, or because, mostly because you're cabin bound, uh, you know, now is a time to go out and purchase things that you put on hold out of fear or um, uh, like the, the fact you didn't need it for lack of you know outdoor. You didn't leave your house. You didn't need yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, house yeah. Just your pajamas. People are doing less consumption. How many new sneakers do you need to wear nowhere? Yeah. Nice. So. You know, so uh, you know, so I think there's a post-COVID release of a whole lot of pent-up activity, and I think that will then snap the supply chain back into some kind of focus. The long-term effect of inflation, I think, is more corrosive. But I think for the next year, we've prepaid for a good outcome by still having consumers with pockets flush full of cash and pent-up demand that was unsatisfied throughout the pandemic. Yeah, and and you'll notice I said the U.S. economy, and one thing we. Um, always know about the U.S. economy is consumers matter to it a lot, right? I think two thirds, and we spend. <laughs> no matter what we say, no matter how, how much we say we're, you know, pessimistic, we still yep. spend. And so, if there's if there's the means to do that, you're probably right. It will happen. Where it happens is a different is a different yep. story, but it will probably happen. Yeah, just maybe so. not on the snowmobile for either of us. Yes, others. yeah, you know, and or who knows, Christian? Yes. Who knows? Exactly. Well, the next time we'll take one of these things on that thing. <laughs> You'll do it from some glamorous ski resort sitting on your <laughs> brand new We will leave on this clip yeah. and have some fun with it. Uh, Christian, it was so great to do a show with you finally. Christian Alexander for us, founder of MacroLink. Thanks for being with us. Pleasure. And um, a programming note for all of you, mark your calendars. We are taking over Vegas, December 9th to 11th. Real Vision and MGM Resorts have joined forces to host a groundbreaking event on the biggest revolution since the internet blockchain. Uh, at the iconic MGM Grand in Las Vegas, we're going to be exploring 
blockchain's present and future and how it's disrupting entire industries from finance, art, gaming, music, I mean, you name it. Uh, so you can find out more details at realvision.com slash MGM takeover. That's it from us. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.